This is Jamie Lee Ganey, and you are about to enjoy iGosian Airwaves. Welcome to iGosian Airwaves, that official podcast of iGo Global. I'm your host, Shu, and I have another guest today. And from time to time, we like to check in on our partners, our missionary partners, see how they're doing, especially since we haven't gone and actually visited them uh, overseas in a couple of years because of the virus. And we, we need to check on them. And I actually got to have breakfast with this guy earlier this week. And I was like, hey, let's get you on the podcast. He's in the States. He's in the Republic of Texas, but he's a missionary in Japan. And he's the one and only Trey Fleming. Trey, welcome back to the show. Hey, Shu. Good to be here, man. And to be in the same time zone as you is pretty phenomenal. That's uh, It's not in the middle of the night right now. The same sunshine is hitting both of us. Yes, it's. Uh, that's a little easier. That's for sure. Yeah, um, works out well. Trey, I see you taking a sip there out of your uh, Astros cup. I am drinking deep the taste of victory. This <laughs> I just don't know how much we can get into that. You know, there's yeah. so many divisive things in our culture these days. And uh, by the time this airs, it might be just so foolish looking for me. To <laughs> I mean, we don't know how things will go. So, well, you know. it, it, it'll probably air this afternoon. So right oh, now gosh. you're on top <laughs> so of the world. We're okay. You're on. T- you're up three to two mm. on those yep. Red Sox. Yep. And uh, yeah, history will tell us what happened. Trey, um, since we started the podcast, we had you on really, really early. Uh, since we started the podcast, we started um, we started taking the first few minutes of every episode to do what we call rapid fire. <laughs> where we just asked you some questions that we didn't tell you we're, we're going to ask you. So Are these psychologically telling like questions yeah. and is yeah. there an ink blot somewhere in the mix? Too? Oh man. It's yeah. It's, it <laughs> goes deep into your psyche and it'll right. reveal a lot of things. That's for sure. I'm uh, Trey, still ready. We were talking the other day about how, how easy it is to learn the Japanese language as everybody would that. expect. Um, Ohio Gazamas. Um, so I was I was gonna see like so far. How, how long have you guys lived in Japan now? Is this the rapid fire part? Yeah, so, yeah, we're rapid right. firing. Four years. Four years. Okay. That that, that didn't even count. That's just like back no, that was an easy one. Is that what does that tell you about my? So in four years, what's what's your worst mistake with the Japanese language or? If, if, you, if you're just really good at the language, like what's your worst cultural experience so far? Yeah, my language one, I can't really, I can't say it. it's not podcast appropriate, but the... <laughs> <laughs> That'll be on the rise and fall of I Go Global podcast. Yeah, this is not later. the yes. place. Uh, this is a different podcast. But uh, we, so I don't know if I told the story before, but like, yeah, like our, we're trying to get our driver's license. I think I figure I know how to drive and I've been yeah. doing it most of my life. So I'll be fine. Well, you go and, and people are all like freaking out. Oh, you're going to get your driver's license. It's going to be really hard. So I'm nervous. And, you know, there's, and, and like we show up and there's other foreigners there. Like they put all the foreigners in a different box, like a different waiting room. Yes. And inside that box, you can look out and see the Mario Kart type you know, driving course, like it has just twists and turns and like different levels and a couple of like, banana oh peels and turtle shells. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's all of those things. And so we go and I was, uh, I was nervous and, uh, we're talking to these people next to us and he has my 18th time to try to pass the test. And I was like, what? This is my first time. And I go down there and, um, you, know, you have all your papers that you filled out and you have to ride around the course one time in the back seat and watch mm-hmm. the person fail in front of you. <laughs> and so, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm next in line to get in and to do that. And so the driver or the, the, yeah, the driver's on the wrong side of the car, you know, he's on the side right. that they drive in, in Japan. And then there's the instructor and he's sitting up front, you know, riding shotgun. 
And so I open the back door to get in and the instructor turns around and says a bunch of Japanese to me that I don't know. And he holds out his hand. And so I grab his hand and give him a big Texas howdy do handshake <laughs> and say, and I'm thinking, I got to impress this guy. And I say, oh, hi, gozaimasu. You know, and, and I'm like, I said the right, you know, greeting yeah. and I'm patting myself on the back. But I feel his hand like just retract and he's terrified to, uh, you know, he thinks I'm like trying to pull him out of the car or something because they don't <laughs> shake hands in Japan. Yeah. And he had asked me for the papers that I'd prepared to show him my identity and that I'm here to get a driver's license. And so then I got in the car, drove like maybe a couple hundred feet and then failed. <laughs> he was like, you're done, go back. And so... But, but I did pass it in three times, not 18 times. Three times, but, not bad. But, but I just, you know, it, it is, uh, that is kind of like, that'll help you understand, like everything's harder there, you know, yeah. like the, you think you know how to drive, but you don't know how to drive Japanese way. So it's, it's, you got to fail a few times and give them that. It's probably a money-making racket, but it was, uh, yeah. it was a learning experience. I was like, it's more about the culture about the language and a lot of Japanese people can speak a little bit of English you can get by but when you really step on the culture and like shake hands instead of bowing like that's that's going to be where you mm. burn a lot of bridges <laughs> yeah and I think like that story might be told from a different perspective that somebody was almost involved in a carjacking yeah really <laughs> he's probably telling his grandkids yeah. you know there was this time <laughs> I thought we were going to lose the whole thing. I had a, I had a very dangerous job as a driving instructor. <laughs> it sounds like a dangerous job. Um, at least it was a contained course. Yeah. And then they just, they said, you know, when you do pass, they just throw you out into real Japanese traffic with like big rigs and, you know, cyclists everywhere. And yeah, like there's no real preparation for that. There's no experience whatsoever with driving in that, those conditions, but they're like, you're ready. And then they just send you out. Well, so I don't know what everybody else is thinking right now, but I can't wait to get over there and get in the car with you and you drive hey, me man, around. It, <laughs> Let's go. When you get in, you're in, you're in what you're used to being when you're right up front, when you're riding a shotgun, you're used to being in the passenger or in the driver's seat at that yeah. time. And so you start like going down a hill and you instinctively will like reach for the brake and like, Oh gosh, he's trying to kill me. Yeah. But yeah, there's nothing on that side of the car. Can't wait. Can't wait. Okay. Well, we'll save your uh, language question for another day. Uh, maybe after we stop recording. <laughs> uh, you guys been stateside Stoss, whatever you call it now. I, I think we should call it furlough. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the good old days of furlough, uh, since July, right? Something like yeah. That. So July 1st was our first day. And then, okay. uh, so we'll, we'll go through January. We have a six month, uh, furlough this time. And, but yeah, you know, that's, it's been fun. We're, we're on the downhill side of it now. Downhill side. What's the place or food that you've had the most that you couldn't get in Japan since you've been on stateside? hundred percent Chick-fil-A. Oh, Not gosh. by choice, but I got three daughters, and so yeah. we're, we're we were at Chick Fil A last night in Willis. In in Willis, Texas, man, I feel bad for that Chick Fil A. They have to put up with us, man, we, <laughs> all the time. <laughs> I go, you know, like uh, the church here in in Willis, Texas, has been very nice to us, and they gave us this uh, truck. But it's a Willis truck. It's giant. It's got yeah. like a lift kit, you know, all this stuff. And I'm just nice. like driving it around. My missionary vehicle is this giant truck. And so we're going through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. And there's this, like, even though there's nobody else in line, Chick-fil-A still has, like, I think they used to have machines that would take your order, but I can't really remember. And there's people there now. There yeah, are always yeah. people there with the yeah. clipboard and the, always. The, the, the machine. And so I drive through and there's this guy, but our truck is already so big to fit through this spot and he's like crouched up behind us and he's taking our order and everything and then i say okay i need to move forward now we're done placing our order but you're still kind of like almost touching the truck so i pull forward and he backs up a little bit but he knocks something off of oh, the <laughs> of the whatever he had it propped up on he, i hear something fall but i think oh it's behind us and right as I look in my rearview mirror, I see his Chick-fil-A walkie-talkie going underneath my tire. 
and it was too late to do anything. I monster <laughs> trucked it, man. I, I just smashed it into a million pieces. So, oh no. So um, yeah, I've I've told the guy at the you know when they're t- when they're giving you your food, I was like, man, I totally smashed that guy's uh, walkie-talkie back there. And he's like, it's our pleasure. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, don't worry about it, man. It's our pleasure. Mm-hmm. Have our walkie-talkie smashed by your ginormous truck. And, Always uh, so a good different. attitude. It's different being back in Texas for sure. Yes. We'll we'll keep wearing out our Chick-fil-A until they tell us we can't come back. Yeah, you might as well. (laughs) Might as well. That's uh yeah, that's a good thing. I'm glad Willis finally got one for you. Man, that's yeah. It's it's a life of luxury up here in Willis, Texas. If y'all are coming through. Oh, I've been to to that (laughs) Chick-fil-A. I I was surprised I didn't see Paula there, but I've been there. Yeah. Or Brooke or any of them. So. Any of the McClellan's, yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right. Last rapid fire. We know that you, before you became a real live missionary, you yes. were a youth minister in Willis and in Texas, mm-hmm. and uh, you were very involved in this little thing we call Super Summer. Yellow school. Yellow school. I've seen. No, I've seen pictures of you in a really yellow <laughs> suit. Um, nah, it wasn't me. Okay, uh, Kyle <laughs> Roseberry. So. Here's here's a question. I, I've had uh, I've had John Davison on the podcast, and he was actually a green school student the year the squirrel got loose in the balcony, and Sam Perry kicked him out of the worship service because he thought they were doing the wave. Uh, I've had Nick Watts on here talking about how he stabbed his leg with scissors and almost bled out in Super Summer one day. Like we love hearing Super Summer stories, like the you know, the stories that are behind the scenes that Chuck Flowers never wanted us to tell. So what you got, you got a good super summer story, your favorite super summer story, anything that you could like bring to our audience? Uh, Yeah. I mean, the, the year that we did like a video game theme, I brought a gorilla suit and we wore a red tie and he was Donkey Kong all week, like during wreck. I mean, the most million degree wreck out there and I'm in the gorilla suit and just running around wreck field trying to cause chaos. Yes. And he's a gorilla, so it doesn't really reflect blue school. So that's fine, you know. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, at night we would take the tie off of it and then just run around campus in that gorilla suit. <laughs> and I mean, just at random, I mean, these kids trying to get out of their, uh, you know, after rainbow, you know, uh, small group time. And the gorilla is like standing by a tree, just like waiting for them, you know? <laughs> and so we would get uh, in the crevices of different buildings and stuff and just wait for a big, you know, gaggle of girls to come walking by and then jump out with the gorilla. Nice. Those are fun times. And then one of the times really a long time ago, I think it was ETBU had that fountain in front and um, <laughs> there was uh, a bunch of um, like, dry ice that somebody had for their welcome booth and i convinced just a group of like unsuspecting red schoolers through the power of persuasion that it would be a great idea to just throw all that dry ice into the fountain yeah <laughs> and, and so i don't know if that'll i don't know what it did to the fountain it made lots of smoke and it was like everybody's showing up like why is that fountain smoking like that but yeah the uh, the red schoolers were totally game for that suggestion. Like, that's a great idea. And so yes, then I just were. walked away. I just I yeah. was like, I cannot be here for whatever plays yeah. out. That's all on Red School. But yeah, Red Schoolers, man, it's your own fault. That's one of the sorry. reasons we let Red School come to Super Summer. Yeah. That kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Blame everything on Red School. The leader of Red School for many years, uh, Moses. Recently. Oh, yeah. Good old <laughs> Moses. So he was probably, yeah adversely affected by that but yeah there's lots of stories lots of good memories from super summer so if, if we ever decided to do a gorilla as the mascot of igosia would there be any chance that uh, the teams could be welcomed to osaka japan by the gorilla well he stayed in willis so you got to ah. talk to garrett bowman's a guy who that's like uh you know, Moses hands his, his uh, cloak and staff and stuff, or, you know, the, the things that get passed yeah. on, like, to, to the next guy. I handed him a a very disgusting, sweated-in gorilla suit and said, That's here you go. so nice buddy. of you. <laughs> he's, sure he's worn it well. That. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. he has. And just, just 
to clarify for the record, we were all of a sudden talking about a very different Moses at that point. Yes. Yeah. Very, very yeah. close together, yeah. those two right. Moses references. <laughs> Just in case anybody was wondering. He's a very biblical guy, though. So. Oh, Moses Pena. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah I mean, that might have that might have been the biblical Moses' last name. We don't know. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Could have been. Possible. Uh last question is really like just uh just to help our audience question we keep talking about you being in willis texas a lot of people don't know where willis texas is because so can you tell us how far that is from panhandle texas i think that'll no. give us a good reference no one's ever made that journey successfully so it's probably it's, true <laughs> probably true there's a desert or something that or bermuda triangle of texas that somebody yeah. tried it and they died of dysentery on the way yeah. so yeah <laughs> it's like an Oregon trail type experience yeah. yeah 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 but uh but yeah it's like uh 45 minutes north of Houston so if you know where Houston is no I don't think our audience will but they do it on the panhandle so it's probably somewhere pretty far south there's panhandle. an awesome baseball team there in Houston so you should check it out mm, okay well once again I'm gonna avoid those questions so Trey it's been a while yes, since sir. we had you on the podcast. It was actually before the pandemic or in the middle of the pandemic. Like, okay. Uh, like, I didn't think I did anything before the pandemic. Yeah, we didn't even start this podcast with <laughs> the pandemic, but it was in the middle of it. Uh, yeah. We thought, man, we'll probably be back in Japan this next summer when the pandemic goes away. And uh, that hadn't happened. So, first of all, what? Tell us how you and your family are doing. I mean, I know the state side's probably been a good thing, but like just you, uh, Adria, the girls, like how are you guys doing? How can we pray for you as a family? Because I know this pandemic's been crazy for all of us, been rough on all of us, but for missionaries, I know it's been a whole different kind of challenge. So how, how, how are y'all doing personally? Yeah, so this is our first state side. So we're still in this cycle of first, like we don't really know what yeah. to expect, you know, like life kind of goes in cycles. And so like, we'll go back to the field for our second term in January and the IMB personnel, they do terms, you know, and then, but this is our first time to come back to the States for this extended period of time. So yeah, we didn't know what to expect, but um, like I've already mentioned, the church has really come through for us. Any Sunday where I'm not like preaching somewhere, or have a speaking gig, uh, you know, we're just going to church at First Baptist Willis, like we used to. And so it's so weird to step back into your old life. Like last night, I went and worked out at the old gym that I used to go to, you know, like, that's the kind of thing, like, yeah. you just, uh, yeah, you, you left so much here, and then you get to come back and kind of touch pieces of it, you know, and, and interact with it a little bit. Uh, last night, we went to the homecoming parade, you know, then so long so like so there's so many emotions coming back uh and i guess maybe that's part of a different question but the the real like to to people ask is it hard to get used to being here and i'm like no man it's really not it's you know we miss japan but you feel like you're in a totally different world over there and it's foreign to you no matter how long you're there it's not really yours and then you step back here and it's like coming into your your childhood home or your house you know like it's it's uh it's a pretty welcoming feeling and so we've been well loved here and so we're very thankful for that and uh but yeah like having we're you know three months in uh actually three and a half months into a six month furlough so we're we're kind of we got our eye on the other side of going back. Yeah. So we kind of have that push and pull. Uh, it's, it is really hard to have your foot in two different places, you know, or, or a foot in each, you know, a foot in Japan and a foot in America. So we, uh, we feel that my girls really miss their school. My middle child was emailing her teacher last night, not because she had to, but just, you know, like she's in homeschool while we're here in the States. And so that's, um, but she wanted to know how her class was doing and stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's just stuff like that. You know, your heart's there, your ministry's there, but this is home. And so you feel all this love and then you're stuck kind of not really belonging to either culture anymore. So uh, it's, it's an interesting feeling, but we're kind of navigating it together and 
And yeah, we've had some hard times since we've come back and loved ones have passed away and we've seen, yeah, different uh, ministry contacts dealing with, uh, you know, loss and grieving and stuff. So we, we want to be there for those people while we're here and, and uh, we're trying. So yeah. it's, it's an interesting deal. The thing that gets me through it though, to think through this is uh, Psalm 121 talks about how the Lord keeps us. And that word keep doesn't mean like protect us from all the bad things. It's just like, he's going to hold us intact through all of it. Yeah. And one of the, the last verses in that Psalm is uh, in, in the Lord will keep you and you're going out and you're coming in. Mm-hmm. And this idea that we're being like, I feel it now. I'm like, oh yeah, we are being held together. We're being kept as we come in, but then we're going to be shot back out there again yeah. pretty soon. And then we're going to come back and come back and go back. And through all that, you can get whiplash, but God holds you together. Yeah. I read somewhere one time that that verse was on, like they put it on their doorpost of their houses, you know, like the coming <laughs> oh, yeah. and going. Coming like, in and going out. It's so cool. Yeah. I love that yeah. song. Um, yeah, that's great. And just to hear that reality yeah. of that in between and how that is, that helps us pray. And then I, obviously, I mean, we love the fact that you guys have such a supportive church around you. Um, First Willis has been maybe the most upset of anybody that we haven't been to (laughs) Japan the last two years because of this pandemic, because they love you guys. So very cool. Speaking of Japan, uh, you haven't, you haven't been there in a few months, but like, I know you're still like you, you've served there for four years and you start a church and all that. Can you give us like some ministry updates on like what things you guys are working on, how things are going there in Osaka, Japan? Yeah, we've, uh, yeah, our church has been through a lot of changes. And so when I was announced or like when we figured out when we would be going on stateside also the, the couple of the family that's there, that were involved in the worship leading, we're also going to be going on their state side at the same time. So it's kind of like a double whammy for our church. And so we kind of strategically looked at like, what could we do that would be more, um, you know, like a low, uh, low maintenance kind of church model. And so, yeah, the, the church there, like we had been doing like sermon and worship and everybody sits in rows, you know, and now they just kind of come in and get in a circle and they crack open a Bible and they're reading that Bible and they're discussing it and talking about those things uh, and translating on the fly, you know, what they need translated. So before it was all very structured, like we had a, the sermon was translated and we read the script kind of thing. And so I think right now it's much more conversational and relational. And so I'm excited to see like, what can we take from that experience? Cause it was really just created by that kind of a leadership vacuum or, you know, taking some of our people out, but now there's, bound to have been some good things that God's used, you know, like anything that we think, oh no, we're going to have to take a step back. Like God's like already knows, and he's already involved in that stuff. And so I'm going to, yeah, be working with them to see what we can do next that might incorporate more of those kind of meetings. And it might turn into a small group. It might turn into all kinds of things, but, um, but yeah, the, the ministry, uh, so when an IMB missionary goes out, they're not supposed to ever go out by themselves. They're supposed to be part of a team. And so we have a team of missionaries that are there continuing the work while we're in the States. Right. And uh, so our particular team is kind of divided into two sub teams. Like there's the church planning side and then there's like a church work alongside team. And they mm-hmm. kind of just make contacts and try to find churches that might be struggling. You know, they might just to have a few gray hair ladies left and they're holding on, but they need uh, some help. And so our IMB missionaries are ready to come in and help any way we can. And uh, so, so yeah, there's, there's uh, lots to do in Japan and, you know, COVID's still very much a concern for Japanese people, but uh, we're seeing, you know, they're, they're tired of it too. And so mm-hmm. they're getting ready to, I think, you know, relaunch a lot of ministry things that uh, they've been holding off on for two years now. So that's exciting to see the Japanese church get ready to start ministering. Yeah. Exciting to think that's what you're coming back into. Let's, you know, kind of like, okay, we hit reset, let's go, you know? So 
That's awesome. What uh, do, does the church that you're talking about there, does it have a name? Yeah, Osaka Hope Community. Osaka Hope. So we will uh, we'll, uh, make sure people pray specifically for that. So love it. Osaka. Yeah, man, we, we planted that church in the most populated neighborhood of Osaka. So Osaka is a city the size of Houston, but just way fewer Christians, way fewer churches. And so we planted right there in the middle of like in a community center. It's not a very threatening building at all. And we have a little park next to us. And so it has a lot of potential. And uh, yeah, we need to be praying for those guys. Yeah. So, okay. So you just said something uh, I'd love to talk about, love to hear you talk about the need in Japan. Um, we, you and I talked Monday over breakfast. It's, it's not looking great for uh, Japan to actually be open. They're moving pretty slow with the COVID thing, but uh, we're trying to figure out some ways to really stay connected with your work, obviously through prayer, but we're going to be back in Japan at some point. We're going to have students there. And so I'd love for you to talk about the need in Japan, why it's such a big need, why, why you need students to come and serve alongside you guys there because of the, that lostness and the fact that there's not many Christians there. Talk about the need uh, in Osaka and Japan. Yeah, so there's, I mean, we always throw around kind of the less than 1%. I think in Osaka, it's less than like half a percent. You know, you're talking just minuscule numbers of Christians for such a large city, you know, maybe a thousand, maybe uh, 2000 for all of, of um, this city, the size of Houston. So you go your whole life, not really meeting any Christians. And, you know, I go in and kind of describe what I do to a Japanese guy. And he's like, well, that's a weird thing to do because Japanese people can't become Christians. The Japanese people can't be Christians, you know? And I was like, yeah, they can, you know, <laughs> like, you know, like, I don't know how to argue this in, in Japanese, but the, um, but it all came back to, in his mind, you know, because of the different ways that people are buried, you know, like they couldn't become. And so it's very much to do, I think, with ancestor worship. But he was like, no, you can't become a Christian because Christians bury their dead and we cremate ours. And I was just like, dude, OK, we got to go. We got to go way back and try to yeah. unpack this and and figure out, you know, what, what we're talking about here, because, yeah, like my grandfather had just been cremated, you know, so I was like trying to explain to him the stuff, you know, and it was like, uh, yeah, like there's just such a hardcore perception over there that you can't be a Christian. Hmm. What we see with teams, when teams come from America, even just for like a short-term trip, man, the, the spectacle of it really creates interest, you know, and, and these, these people, I mean, if you think you're going your whole life, having never met a Christian, and all of a sudden you see a group of people from America and you go find out what they're doing and you find out they're all Christians. Mm. You know, you find out, man, and it's it's not just a, a religion that you dutifully pursue or you know maintain. It's something that's changed your life. That's totally foreign to them because in the world of Japanese religion, it's all Buddhist and Shinto. And so everything is done just kind of out of a respect it's what you have to do. It's part of being Japanese. So to see somebody willingly living out a life that is full of joy, full of, of peace and loving, that's just so out there for them that they, they want to know, like, all right, is this uh, something that's just how foreigners are? You know, we might be the only foreigners that they've seen, you know, recently out there because, uh, COVID and everything, but man, they, uh, they, they still will ask questions, you know, they'll ask, you know, is every American a Christian, you know, and we'll say, no, you know, we'll talk about how it's a decision and that every American would have to come to that decision. They don't just get born into it. So that's deconstructing. It's unpacking all of these things that these ideas and concepts about religion that they've put in this box and just kind of shoved it to the side. And we're, kind of by being there, just forcing them to kind of take those things out and examine why they believe what they believe. And that'll, that'll lead to more questions and more relationships and more salvations. You know, I mean, we just, we got to get out there and share the gospel with them. And uh, so when teams come that really, all the Japanese people just swarm in on us, you know, they just want to come to us. 
So that speeds things up. And all of you that, you know, if you find somebody that can speak English, if you got a team of 20 people, you know, you can feasibly go out and share the gospel a couple of times a day and you've got 40 gospel presentations. I mean, when it's just me and my wife out there and maybe my kids are getting involved, you know, we're, it's going to take us a much longer time to share the gospel 40 times. When we have a team, we can do that in a day. And so that's what the difference is. You know, Japan is, is, is not one of these closed countries. It's not communist or anything like that. It's wide open. I have it on my visa. It says religious activities is what I'm supposed to do in Japan. So we go out there and we do religious activities, and, but we can only do so much. And so when we have the reinforcements of a team, I just see that multiplying our ministry like so much more, even if like you share the gospel 40 times and you don't get salvations, you don't get 40 salvations, but you get some contacts, you know, you get some people that are interested, you can kind of filter through. And so then it gives us something to act on. Once that team goes home, we'll have contacts for, you know, just days of reaching out to people saying, Hey, you met my friend, uh, you know, Brooke McClellan, you know, you know, uh, you want, you want to have lunch sometime or have some coffee with me, you know, like that's, that's one of those things that, um, we haven't had in a long time because of COVID. So I didn't realize until all this mess, just how much a part of the ministry that was, you know, like God's really shown me like, yeah, these short termers, like I have a special place in my heart for you guys already. Cause I came with, I go and God used it to call me, but it was, uh, now, once COVID happened, it's like, no, this is this is part of the plan. This is part of how God is reaching Japan. And God's just kind of showing me, as it's been disrupted, how important it is to have those teams there. So there's always a big need. And that need has gone unmet for so long now that Japanese people are going to be all over you guys when you all finally do get to come back. They'll, they'll be swarming like nobody's business. So we'll get lots of contacts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that that Trey, we've been friends for a while. That's one of the reasons we work together. But it's really way beyond that. It's the fact that you you do have a strategy for using student teams, and it's a big deal. And you know, if you're a student, you're listening, or you're a youth pastor, you're listening, thinking about going to Japan when we when we can get back there. Like when you're talking about two conversations, sharing the gospel twice a day, or forty conversations with a group of twenty, it's probably forty conversations where those person that person you're talking to has never heard the gospel before. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we, you know, that first time I went with, I go to Tokyo, there was a team there that met a man who he listened to the gospel story and he said, Oh, okay. Uh, he, he's, you know, I think he, I don't know how he got there, but he said something about, Oh yes, this is Mel Gibson. And we said, no, no, no. Like we thought maybe he saw a picture of Jesus and mistook him for Mel Gibson, like during his lethal weapon days or something. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he's yeah. like, and then we're like, no, 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 no. This is, this is Jesus, the son of God, not Mel Gibson. And he goes, no, no, no. Like Mel Gibson told this story. And uh, so he, um, you know, American movies are huge over there. This guy had watched the passion of the Christ, huh. which was directed by Mel Gibson. Yeah. And he had made the connection and I guess in his mind still to that day until we were there to kind of set the record straight that Mel Gibson invented that story. And so it was, it was a good piece of fiction. You know, it was an interesting story that a director in Hollywood made up and we had to tell him, no, this is an ancient thing that, that, that God revealed to us and and God actually did this. It's historical. Jesus, uh, came to earth as representation and as the very son of God. And it's not a Mel Gibson idea. It's a God thing. And so that was hard. That was, I mean, but I mean, he, he left with an understanding, but like he would have gone his whole life thinking Mel Gibson made up the gospel and made up the passion. And that that was just a moving, compelling story. Uh, had we not shown him and given him Bibles and stuff. So it's just uh there's so many people like that. You know, the other one, we had a team come with Igo while I was uh, serving as missionary and the, you know, the school teacher from around here, Conroe, Texas, she comes out 
And she's out there doing the five minute English where you invite people to come practice their English while you're uh, just standing in a train station. There's thousands of people coming and going. And so you're standing there, you're bound to catch one that needs some English practice. Yeah. And so this, this older man came up to her and started talking and she goes through the script. She, you know, what's your favorite food? What, you know, all this stuff. And then what's your favorite movie? Uh, and then they get to what's your favorite book? And they talk about the Bible and the story of the Bible. And she starts telling him the story of Jesus. And he goes, ah, you know, this, and, and there's only two guys that I've ever known that it wasn't totally new to them. Hmm. But this man also said, oh, I've heard this story before. And he said, Billy Graham believes this. And she's like, Billy Graham. Oh, my gosh. You know, like he had just passed away. She's like, maybe he read a news story about him or something. And so. Uh, and she goes, yeah, Billy Graham does believe this. And he goes, oh, you know, Billy Graham. She's like, not personally. <laughs> and, and he's just like pulling this name out over and over. And, and she's like, when did you, you know, what, what do you know about Billy Graham? He's like, oh, he came here and uh, told me this story. And it was in a baseball stadium. I was, I was a young man then and, and all this. And so she presented the gospel to him and he, he said, no, I'm not ready to make any kind of decision. And he left. And so she comes and kind of reports some of this stuff to me. And uh, so then I was like, man, when was Billy Graham ever in Osaka? You know, we were in Osaka at the time. And so I looked it up and there's a YouTube video of it, man. Billy Graham preaching in Osaka in 1980. So this was wow. like 2018. This man heard the gospel for the first time in 1980, the year I was born. And then all the way in 2018, he heard the gospel for a second time from a school teacher in Conroe, Texas. So there's this 38 year gap between gospel presentation. So yeah, there's like, that's this, this, this man didn't have another 38 years to wait for the third time. I mean, if it takes five times before he accepts the gospel, man, this guy, he's, he's, he's not going to have time. So, uh, yeah, when we talk about getting the gospel out 40 times a day instead of just whatever we could do, maybe two or three or four, that's huge because we've got to get the gospel to people and have those gospel touches so much more frequently than 38, you know, once every 38 years. You know, we just can't, we can't do it. It's an impossible task at that rate. And so the statistic will remain forever the same of less than half a percent if if we don't increase that. And so we're doing things on our side to help the Japanese church do that more. But man, when we get that uh, team from America, it's going to be like a shot in the arm. You know, we're just going to see so many gospel presentations that, you know, there's, there's a, uh, yeah, I mean, you got Japanese people that they're not rejecting Jesus out of a you know, I think Shinto is better. You know, I think Buddhism is better. They've just never heard anything else. Hmm. And they, they just, they need that chance. And so we're, we're doing everything we can. And we, we need some students who will come out and do everything they can. Well, we are, we're ready to send you some. And I love the fact that you're basically just, you know, taking over for Billy Graham there in Osaka. Oh, that's, that's wild, man. The next Billy Graham of Osaka. Well, it wasn't me. It Trey, was uh, Trey Fleming and his crew. It was it was it was uh, Miss Dunn over there in Conroe who's yeah. well, it's, it's taking always connected to Willis. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Everything connects through Willis. First Times Willis is like the new Kevin Bacon of ministry. So it is. Perfect. It's the, it's the crossroads. <laughs> Everything comes through Willis. Yes, for sure. So Man, that's a great update that, like for us to know how to pray for students to like be thinking like, hey, there's a huge need in Japan. L let's go. When those doors open, we want to be ready for that for sure. Uh, one of the things you and I talked about recently is, is just <clears throat> something we just started talking about on our podcast, Trey, was the idea that God is still calling students to ministry. It may not be something we're emphasizing as much as we used to. And I think maybe that we need to get back to that, but we've been talking about that on the podcast. And so I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about that. Like before you became a missionary, you were obviously already a minister. You were in youth ministry and ministry or in Texas. I think you're a proud graduate of Houston Baptist university and yeah, Huskies. So 
man, like, would you be willing to share your story? How, how did, and I know that that story looks different for everybody. Even the terminology is different. Surrendered to, called to ministry, volunteered, whatever. But like, how did that play out for you? How did you end up in ministry? Yeah. The, um, I mean, I was at a youth camp, you know, uh, not Super Summer, but I did go to Super Summer probably that year. But I was just at a, a regular youth camp and youth camps used to, you know, they would kind of hit home with the gospel message every night, but then like maybe one night of the week, they would talk about calling. Hmm. And man, during that whole sermon, I was just like squirming in my seat and I didn't want to do nothing, you know, like that would derail my life and what I thought I was going to do with my life. I just had big plans to go to UT and, and, uh, and, and go into anything in the computer field and do all this stuff. And yeah, in the late nineties, I was heating up. Uh, computers were going to be a big deal. Uh, so, (laughs) but, but anyway, the, I remember like hearing that sermon and thinking, and then the invitation was given and I was just like, no, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I was really struggling. Like, I'm not going to do this. Um, I feel like God's calling me to ministry, but that's just so out there. And what it came down to for me was an issue of trust. Hmm. And I mean, I was, I was like praying and I was like, God, I totally trust you. You know, like it would be fine, you know, to go into ministry. I know those guys don't make any money, but, you know, like whatever, you know, like I, I could do it, you know, and everything. And I was just kind of like lying to God through my teeth, you know, <clears throat> it really wasn't okay for me to give up what I thought I needed salary wise or what I thought I needed to do with my college years. I just wanted that. And I had that plan and I was holding on so tight to it. And uh, it's one of those things like I don't I'm totally not like a heebie jeebie, like spooky kind of christianity person but i really did open my eyes and and somebody's church bulletin had fallen out of their bible their alto frio baptist encampment and it was laying at my feet and the first song there was like only trust him and i was like oh for crying out loud (laughs) and so i go up there and i'm like you know all right yes i will reluctantly surrender to ministry Mm -hmm. and and i do i remember a, a super summer speaker billy beecham really uh like probably later that summer saying, you know, if you make yourself available to guys going to wear you out. And I was like, I think I did that this summer. You know, I think I surrendered to ministry. And, uh, and I was like, the guys aren't really going to use me. And Billy Beecham's up there. Like, he's going to wear you out. You know, <laughs> I was like, that doesn't sound very appealing, but yeah, like I want God to use me. So, uh, so since then I just, I've been, and I think that's what ministry is like a call to ministry. You just said that willingness to let God use you to do whatever, you know, and to, to, I really, I struggled with even after all of that story to say, well, then what area of ministry do I really want to pursue vocationally? Like, do I want to, do I want to do this as a job? And then like, yes, but then it's not about what I want. So I'm going to let God totally level my playing field. I had come to Christ through student ministry. I love student ministry. And I was like, but God, if you want to call me to be a, a missionary or a preacher or an evangelist or a worship leader, I'll just, you know, I want to, I want that to be, um, you know, not something that I decide myself. I want God to really direct that step. And yeah, I remember uh, being at church just on a regular Sunday and during the invitation time, God made it totally clear. He wanted me to do youth ministry. Hmm. And so then I went and I told my pastor and told my youth minister, I was like, I think God's calling me a youth ministry. Like, I just like, it's not like a, you know, audible calling type thing, but it was just like, I prayed over each area of ministry that could go into and my heart just like exploded when I touched on, should I go into youth ministry? So God was just making it clear through that kind of stuff. And like, he'd obviously given me a passion for students. So like, and then, yeah, everybody I told was like, well, yeah, Dutch, right. You know, like we know, you know, and so, and then the same thing happened with, uh, you know, our calling to go out of student ministry. That was tough to like, say, we want to be called out of student ministry into a new type of ministry missions. Those worlds intersect a lot, but I knew for my personal calling, it was going to be, it was going to require a huge shift, you know, and I'd been kind of putting a bandaid on it for a long time, like going with IGO and leading student teams and like trying to get them to get out of the country in my own student ministry. But yeah, at a certain point I was like, yeah, this, those band-aids aren't really cutting it anymore. 
there's something that God stirred up in me that can only be satisfied by going into a ministry position of missions. And so that change uh, happened. And then we started telling people and they were all like, oh yeah, we knew, you know, <laughs> that's very obvious to us, you know? And so I think it's, you know, God has his ways of calling us into those specific ministries and um, you know, prayer and fasting and doing all those, like, I mean, just really seeking God during those times of indecision, like, what am I supposed to do? God can make it clear, you know, whether just giving you peace in your heart or, you know, different external signs or having the spiritual mentors that you have in your life speaking into you, that truth. I mean, God's going to speak to you. And, you know, that was, that was a load off when I realized God doesn't want to call me to ministry and then me not find out, you know, like, like if God's called you to ministry, he's going to make it obvious to you and you're not going to have peace doing anything else. And so it's not like God's like, I wonder if he's going to figure it out. You know, like he wants you to know it's the most important thing in your life to be doing with your time. He's not going to make it a secret. And so and I was like, I think, yeah, like there's there was just obvious signs that we're supposed to be in Japan. And when we made that move, God totally confirmed it by giving us lots of uh, great spiritual advisors and mentors that would say, oh yeah, that's absolutely what you're supposed to be doing. If everyone would have said, oh, are you sure? You know, is that something you're, <laughs> you're not cut out for that? You know, then we would have second guessed it, but gone back into more prayer. But I think it was, uh, it was real obvious when we laid it out there to our, our trusted friends and, and family that, yeah, we're supposed to be doing this. I love so much about that story, bro. Um, <laughs> and, and just how, just even how you unpack that, you're just telling your story, but it's great advice for anybody out there that's listening. That's like, maybe they're exploring, maybe they're like, I don't know, maybe God's calling me. Cause you just got to that point where you said, okay, God, whatever you want to do, I'm going to surrender. And then, and then he started showing you. And then other people confirmed that the church mm -hmm. came alongside your people confirmed that. And, and that story plays out a lot of different ways, but those elements always seem to be there, you know, like yeah. here, God was leading me. He was making this clear. And then the church confirmed that and came, people are like, absolutely. We've been seeing that about time you figured it out, you know, like that. Yeah. Is, yeah. That You'll be the last one to figure it out out of your yeah. spiritual circle, you know, yeah. and then all of them will be like, yes, God told us a long time ago. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause, and, and what you said about God, not, he wants you to know, you know, like yeah. how many times we talk to students and they're like, well, I don't want to mess up, you know, I yeah, want to do yeah. the wrong thing. I go the wrong place. And you're like, no, God's not wanting you to mess up. He's not <laughs> waiting. I hope I get a trick, you know, like, yeah. uh, he, he's going to confirm this along the path. And, um, he, you know, he directs our path. That's the trust in him. We started with that, with you trust in him with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding move in that direction, acknowledging him. And here's the promise. He will direct your steps. And man, it's cool. Just, I know you're so young, born in 1980, good grief, but like, it's been cool for me kind of like to watch that process for you, man. It's really been cool. Mm -hmm. And I, I know I go, you went with, with us a couple of times and I'm, I, I didn't want to ask that question because we're trying to take any credit for that. It was just a part of the journey. Like it's been cool to be somewhat involved in that journey and to watch how, how obedient you've been, how trusting you've been leading your whole family. That is not a little thing. I think some people go, man, he already surrendered the ministry. He's doing, he's spent his whole life with students. Isn't that enough? <laughs> and then God says, no, let's go to Japan. I'm so thankful you did, bro. I'm so mm -hmm. thankful that you, uh, you're doing that. Um, I love the fact that when this opens up, our students get to come and do life with you for a week or a whole summer, get to experience all that while they're serving the Lord, making him famous in Osaka. So good. Yeah. yeah. And I would just say that too. Like it starts with, you know, saying yes to God, trusting him at the little things. You know, if God's called you to go on a short-term trip to Japan and you say, no, he's never going to call you to a lifetime of missions there. 
you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So these small steps of obedience are how we get to these big things, ideas of like calling. Mm-hmm. So yeah, start with uh, the things that God's called you to do, man, be in the word every day, be sharing with your friends, you know, go to church, you know, like those small steps of obedience turn into a lifetime of calling and purpose. So you don't think that a student has to wait to get to Japan to actually live on mission and follow Jesus? I think I know where you're going with this, but no, <laughs> not at all, man. There's, uh, there's, there's ministry opportunities. Like, you know, I, uh, I heard somebody tell me a long time ago, never pray for opportunities. You, you are swimming in them every day, you know? So we, we have tons of opportunities to share the gospel and, if you don't do it now, you're not going to do it once you get out on the field. You know, it's it's uh, your your native language and all the people around you, man. They're they're perfect guinea pigs for this grand purpose that God's called you to. So yeah. get get after it now. For sure. Well, Trey, man, thanks for uh, thanks for taking some time to give us a checkup. Know how the Fleming fam in Japan is doing. Tell me real quick, I've got the card and obviously on the podcast, nobody can see this, but I've got the prayer card, but like, how can people follow you uh, on the social channels or whatever you want to tell people as far as praying for and keeping up, up to date? Yeah. If you can go to Fleming fam and Fleming has one M by the way. So Fleming fam in Japan.com. And you can find our uh, Facebook, Instagram and prayer newsletter sign up all right there. But uh, if you just hate going on an internet web browser, you could open your Facebook app and search Fleming Fam in Japan and find us that way. Yeah. I think. I mean, yeah. No, yeah. I think it's <laughs> easy to find. Find yeah. us on the gram. Yeah. 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 They, and they, they do a great job of keeping that up to date. It's not like, you know, some, some of these guys, you never see any <laughs> updates. You guys update well and, and, it kind of gives us a, a glimpse. Here's what life's like living in Japan. And I love that. So yeah, go out there and follow them, pray for them and, and, and just be ready when Japan opens to go and serve alongside them. Uh, yeah. Thanks for your time, Trey. Always love having you on the podcast, love visiting, love checking up, catching up all the things, uh, go Astros for your benefit. Heck yeah. I made a fan. There we go. Leave those Rangers behind. Come back to your roots. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Always be the Cowboys, but I may sell my baseball loyalty. And I will say, man, yeah, I appreciate you and your faithfulness. I know this has been with the COVID and everything, just the toughest time to go through with somebody in charge of taking students to the nation. So um, I'm thinking that's not an easy task that you've been uh, navigating the past couple of years. So thankful for your friendship and your support and everything. And you're, you're dead on, right? Like without that, I go trip in 2008, I just, I don't know if I'd ever seen it as clearly as I did uh, and, and know that that was our calling and, and begin the process of getting out here. So appreciate all you guys do. It's super important. And yeah, man, if y'all are listening, uh, you can support I go by going to their uh, web store and getting one of these cool shirts. <laughs> perfect yes yes go to the store check it out um yeah thanks for saying that trey uh that 2008 trip was fun for sure and uh man it's been crazy but i take all the credit and all the blame i give to kai martin so it works out perfect that's how it works yeah (laughs) all right man good talking to you thanks for uh thanks for stopping by thank you guys bye